Hey friends! In this episode of your PA Mentor Podcast with Sam and Erin, we are going to be talking all about reviewing and signing contracts. We'll also talk about retirement, RVUs, and bonuses. So stay tuned and let's get this party started. Welcome to your PA Mentor Podcast. I'm Sammy Ngo, your host and fellow PA, and I'm here to help you navigate your way to a fulfilling PA career. At 26 years old, I landed my dream job as a brand new graduate right out of PA school without even realizing it, all because I had an incredible mentor who guided me through my first year as a clinician. My mentor completely changed my life and how I practice medicine. He didn't just teach me clinical medicine. He taught me how to love the art of medicine, how to develop work-life balance, how to avoid burnout, and most importantly, how to truly love and continue to love my profession. Because of him, I am the confident PA that I am today. And that is why I have made it my mission to help PA students and new grads navigate through the PA profession with advice, strategy, and tools to find your way to a fulfilling career as a PA. And with that said, my friends, it is now time to dive into today's episode. Hi, Erin. Hi, Sammy. Today, we are going to go back and talk about one of my favorite topics. Negotiating? Close. Contracts. And there's a lot to talk about, but we're going to try to keep this short and sweet because it's a very boring topic. (laughs) Erin, do you have a contract with your employer currently? My position right now is actually unionized. Wait, wait, tell them what your job is. I don't think a lot of our listeners know. Oh, so I work for the Department of Corrections. Prison. Prison. (laughs) And the employees, including the providers, are actually unionized, which is kind of rare for a provider to be part of a union. But it's pretty cool. I like it. The employees have a, it's called a CBA or collective bargaining agreement with the state that spells everything out. And it's not really a contract so much as it is a 150 page document. Wow. It covers everything. Yeah. And it's renegotiated every two years. It's constantly changing, but it's not individualized. So there was nothing to negotiate on a personal level. And I'll be honest, I definitely have not read the entire thing. Of course, who would? Not me. (laughs) At my current job right now, I work for a major health organization. So a lot of things in my contract were also non-negotiable. But I did negotiate everything in my two previous primary care jobs, which were small private practices. But that doesn't mean that it's any less important to make sure you read everything you're signing. Exactly. Don't assume anything. Mm Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that you want to look for. We're going to quickly go through what you want to look for in your contract. First, salary, your PTO and sick time, Time. medical and dental vision benefits, your malpractice insurance. You have to make sure that malpractice insurance has a tail and we'll go over that another time in detail. And then for your retirement plan, make sure you know the vesting schedule and eligibility period. So a vesting schedule is an amount of time that you have to put into that retirement plan before you're eligible to actually withdraw the employer benefit part of it. You're also going to want to know how much notice you're required to give if you decide to quit, if you're in surgery, how many clinic days versus surgery days you'll have, and what criteria they use for raises at your annual review. And you also want to know if there is a non-compete clause. Sammy, what's a non-compete? 
oh, that's right, they don't know. A non-compete usually won't let you practice for another clinic in the same specialty within a certain time frame or within a distant radius. For example, a lot of primary care, dermatology, and aesthetic clinics won't let you work for the competitor while you work for them at all. And some non-compete clauses actually say that even if you leave, you have to wait a specific amount of time before you can work for your competitor. I had a primary care job that had a non-compete and I wasn't allowed to practice primary care within a 15-mile radius. At that time, it didn't matter because I knew I would never stay in Connecticut. So I was (laughs) like, whatever, no big deal. That's fine. I'll sign. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if you leave one job, sometimes you might even have to wait three months to a year before you can get a job with another clinic in the same specialty in the same area. Mm -hmm. So Obviously, if you move to a different city or state, it's not valid. It usually applies to your local area and a specific amount of time. And the prison actually makes us get approval to work a second job um, just to make sure there's no conflict of interest. So even if it's not the same specialty, there's still a lot of times can be restrictions on what other jobs you can work for while you're employed. Finally, make sure your contract specifies what support staff is provided for you. Will you have a scribe, an MA, a nurse, and do you have to share the nurse or the MA with another provider? And what's the ratio from provider to MA? Those are important things to consider. They are. And at one of my part-time ER jobs, the group paid for scribes for the MDs, but they charged the PAs and nurse practitioners $10 an hour to have a scribe. And it had to come out of our own pocket. Are you kidding? Um, No. And it was a major national ER group. And I have just found that they really treat their PAs and MPs so badly compared to what they provide for MDs. It was really disappointing. Wow. I can't even. To work for them. It was like, really? Seriously? That's terrible. Okay. First things first, before you sign your contract, make sure that the salary that you negotiated in your contract is correct. And if you discuss a timeline for renegotiation, make sure that's in there too. For example, if you want to renegotiate in three to six months after your training period ends, make sure that that is in there too. Right. And some contracts might not explicitly say, yes, we will renegotiate in XYZ amount of time, but they'll say something like, contract is valid for two years or will roll over for year two. And what that means is you can't ask for a raise for two years. So if you have questions about the wording in the contract, ask if that is how you're supposed to interpret it. Be explicit. Say, does this mean I can't have a raise for two years? Pin them down and make them say it. Agreed. And make sure that the amount of time that you are expected to work for that salary is also in your contract. If you are paid hourly, how many hours a week are you expected to work? And if you're paid by salary, does that translate to a 40-hour patient work week and you chart your own time? Or is that 32 hours to see patients and you have eight hours of admin time? Are you working three 12-hour shifts or Monday through Friday, nine to five? Make sure it's all in the writing. Right. A lot of ERs and urgent cares also have a rotating schedule, but they're usually predictable. You can pick the same days or shifts that you would like for each week. So when I worked in the emergency room, some of my coworkers really liked the early morning shifts, which I absolutely did not. I preferred the midday, afternoon, evening shifts. So even though it rotates, you can pretty much get the time slots you want. Make sure that there's something about that in the contract. 
And you also want to make sure that if you are expected to rotate between clinics, that this is in a contract as well, including which clinic and how often. It would suck to take a job at a place you think is close to your house only to find out that you're only there once a month and you work somewhere else across town for the rest of the month. Yeah, that is such a bummer when that happens. I think that happened to a friend of ours. She got a clinic job and then they were like, okay, well, we're short staffed in these other clinics. So we're going to need you to rotate there every week to these other clinics. And they were so far. Yeah. She just got jacked. It's pretty common. We hear it all the time. Yeah. And then if you have negotiated a sign-on bonus or relocation fees, make sure to check if there is a time commitment associated with it. For example, if you got a $10,000 sign-on bonus, but you stay for less than the length of the first contract, which is usually about a year, typically you'll be expected to pay back a portion of it at a prorated amount. I always tell people, don't spend all of your bonus until your year is up. Because if something, God forbid, were to happen and you had to leave, you have to pay that back. In my urgent care, we hired six new graduates, right? I think they're like within a year or two out. Of the six, four quit within the first, I think, like two or three months because it was just too fast-paced and they weren't trained properly and they just felt really overwhelmed. Other two stayed only because they had already spent (laughs) their bonus money. (laughs) And they have kids and had a mortgage and cars. Yeah, and they were just so miserable being there for another two years because they already spent their money and they couldn't leave. They felt Mm -hmm. trapped. Yeah. So that is important too. Yeah. (laughs) Really consider. You know, money has strings, you guys. So make sure that you know what those strings are so you don't get yourself in a predicament like that. Yeah, so don't spend the money. Just just leave don't it somewhere. It. Don't see it until after your, you know, two years is over. Then you're like, let me bathe in the money. It's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, don't do it now. Don't use it. Yes. And moving on, for CME, make sure to see what sort of things you can use your CME money for. Some places are really weird about what they cover and other places are pretty liberal. And again, make sure it's in the writing, how much you're entitled to and if the money is upfront or it's a reimbursable expense. At my current job, I can use my CME money to go on vacation. They will pay for a hotel and flight. Yeah, it is. I can, you know, use it for hotel and flight reimbursement, fine dining, as long as I show proof that I completed some sort of CME during this time. If I went up to date and read an article for 20 minutes and do a little quiz, so I can be (laughs) bawling in, I don't know, Maldives, (laughs) and they'll pay for the hotel and my flights, you know? That's crazy. Because I'm doing work, which is really nice. You're like doing CME for sure. My first shitty ER job, the one I always hate, wanted me to take an ER boot camp course in Las Vegas before (laughs) letting me start my first shift there. And they said, oh, we'll reimburse you. But I had no funds to pay for anything. I was broke. (laughs) I had no money. And of course, because it was my first job and I was clueless, there was nothing in writing about how I was going to be getting that money, how it was going to be dispersed. So I begged for the money up front. I was like, look, I have no money. I have nothing to pay for ahead of time to be reimbursed for. And the business partner of the group literally could not wrap his mind around the fact that I had no money (laughs) to book a flight pay for the conference, pay for the hotel room, pay for my own meals and my transportation in Vegas. He could not imagine that level of (laughs) brokenness. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, I got no money. I don't understand what you don't understand about that. I am broke. (laughs) 
So oh, they eventually paid for it. But geez. <laughs> but you had to fight for it though, right? I did. I had to fight for it. Yeah. And if you had it in writing, you wouldn't have to do that. You know, I would not. I would have just been like, check, please. Exactly. Yeah. But God, Eric, I'm glad you've come a long way since then. <laughs> I really have. Proud of myself. Okay, enough about your disastrous life. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's talk about bonuses, productivity, and RVUs. Okay, so first let's talk about what an RVU is. Sam, tell them what RVU stands for. <laughs> I mean, I know what it is. I don't know what it stands for. Who knows what it stands what? for? You really don't know? How long I have mean, you been I, practicing? I, <laughs> eight years. Shit. I know what it means. I know what it is, but... Yeah, okay, well, so RVU stands for Relative Value Unit. It's a factor of acuity based on a CPT code. And CPT codes are the numbers that you use to describe what you did during the office visit for the billing people. Typically, the more complex the case, the higher the CPT code, the higher the RVUs. But that doesn't always necessarily translate to the number of patients you see. Very true. That's important. Yeah. So you can see one super complicated high acuity patient at a new patient visit and bill at a high CPT code or... You can see three established patients at a lower CPT code, and the RVUs equal to be uh, about the same. Probably not the same. I would say the yeah, probably I say that established ones are probably more, but yeah, similar. Agreed. And in an urgent care or an emergency room setting where you do a lot of procedures, it's important to understand what procedures generate RVUs. That way, you can make sure to focus your clinical time on things that generate income and not tasks that can be delegated to your MAs or your nurses. You can bill for a joint injection, but you can't really bill for collecting a urine sample. The facility can charge you for the cost of the tests, but you don't generate income by performing the task yourself. So you have to make sure you're using your time wisely. Right. Make sure that you're delegating lesser tasks to people who can do them Correct. so you can focus on making the, the money. The ticket, yes. Yeah. A lot of bonuses for RVUs are based on a range. If you generate a certain amount of RVUs per hour for the month, you will get a certain percentage bonus. Other bonuses are based on productivity or number of patients. So one urgent care I worked for had a base salary of $50 an hour with an additional $10 per hour. That's sweet. Oh my gosh. It was such a sweet gig. So that meant if I saw three patients an hour, I would make $80 for that hour. But conversely, if I only saw one patient, I would make 60 bucks an hour. Or no patients, if it was a really slow day, it would just be that 50. Yeah. It would vary according to my number of patients that I saw. And it had nothing to do with RBUs. Yeah. Yeah. What's your bonus structure? It's pretty similar. We are not based on RVUs right now. We, they tried that for a little bit and then they discontinued it because it was too complicated. Mm -hmm. So we have just more productivity bonus and we originally had the press gainy patient satisfaction score and that kind of generated how our bonuses work. But now they switched it to the Brooks system, which is something different. But a lot of it goes into patient satisfaction, antibiotic and colonoscopy screening, a lot of primary care shit. Sure. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And also productivity. And now another big thing they added recently was door to door time. So they want our patients in and out within 75 minutes. In an urgent care. Yeah. Yes, in urgent care. Anyways, the last word on bonuses is to understand how they're paid out. Is it once a month, quarterly, semi-annually, annually? It's better for you as a provider to be paid more frequently. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the practice is just sitting on that money and collecting the interest off your hard work. 
And that's not always negotiable, but it's still important for you to know. All right, so moving on. Most employers have a fairly standard medical benefit package that is uniform for all employees. So just make sure you understand what you have and how much it costs and just the basic benefits. If they don't offer any medical benefit packages or you don't need it because you have coverage through your spouse or your partner, you can always ask for more money. A lot of my colleagues have spouses in the military which have great benefits. So Mm -hmm. they opt out of any medical coverage and just ask for a higher hourly income or whatever money they would have spent on the medical benefits to give them a big check at the end of the year instead. So that's something you can always consider. And that's typically something you can only do with a smaller private clinic. Correct. Mm -hmm. But some large hospital systems might have something like that. Most of them don't. They're like, look, this is your benefits. This is what you get. And you have to take it. (laughs) Or else. Yeah. Yeah. And retirement is also something that you can't really negotiate very much, but it is important to know what it is and what's included in your package. A matching program means your employer will contribute an additional amount of money into your retirement account based on how much you contribute to your plan. The amount is typically 2% to sometimes even up to 6%. Yeah, mine's 6%. Yeah, mine is not 6%. (laughs) And that's not usually, again, something you negotiate. It's just what it is. A 401k plan is a pretty traditional retirement plan, and it has a maximum allowable amount you're allowed to contribute every year. And it works out to about $19,000 a year. So if you contribute your maximum allowable amount, you will get the maximum contribution from your employer. Yes, you should always do that. (laughs) Yeah, so it might sometimes be hard initially when you're just starting out and you're broke to put money away to retirement. But as soon as it's financially feasible, start Mm -hmm. contributing to your retirement. You want to hear something funny? I get a letter in the mail from my first job in Connecticut. So I was young and dumb, 26 years old. I didn't contribute to my 401k at all. But I guess my employer is matched. My doctor told me about this. He's like, oh, yeah, we put in a certain amount of money in for you every year, whether or not you contribute. And I get these statements in the mail. And I just checked it last week. (laughs) I have (laughs) 15000 in that account, which I've never once contributed to. And it was just sitting there. From eight years ago, but it's been accruing interest. That's because they were so good to you and they set it up for you on your behalf. And that is something that you'll typically see in a smaller practice. I actually had something like that from that same first shitty ER job. That's the one nice thing they did was they set up this retirement plan. And I think they put $3,000 into it, just kind of like Mm -hmm. at base. And so it's just been sitting there for the past eight years. I should really see if I can roll that over into something. But yeah, it's so funny because my employer just keeps emailing me, hey, Sam, at some point, do you want to move this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll do it. (laughs) Move this to something in your control so we can write it off our books and get rid of it. I'll do it. Eight years later, it's still there. But I'm like, oh, this is nice. I have an extra (laughs) 15,000. Yeah, but I should should really work on that eventually soon, sometime. Yeah, right. Other plans, like my current plan, I work for the state. And so they have, it's called a PERS plan. It makes you wait a certain amount of time before they'll start kind of matching what you've put in with their Mm -hmm. percentage. And that amount of time is called a vesting period. My current employer has a five-year vesting period. That means I can invest the max amount for these five years, but they won't pay for their part of it until after I've worked for them for five years. Make sure that you know what your vesting period is. Erin, 
I just realized we're almost towards the end of our talk and we haven't mentioned malpractice insurance. How do we forget oh, about that? Dios mio. How did we forget about malpractice? Yeah, well, we will have to do a whole topic on malpractice and lawsuits because it is so important for you to understand. And we just will record that next week. Is that correct? Yeah. But the main thing from this episode, we want you to understand if you're looking at jobs right now, is malpractice, you have to have a tail. That is the most important thing. And Aaron, explain what a tail is for malpractice insurance. A tail is the amount of time that that malpractice insurance will cover you after you leave the practice. If you are at a clinic for two years and then you go to another job and then two years later you get sued by a patient for a visit that happened during those two years that you worked, the tail will cover you for that malpractice mm -hmm. claim. Usually they're, I think, five years. Yeah, usually five is a good um, year. Yeah, or, time frame. Yeah. I wouldn't go one for less than two. I would say minimum five. No, no, no. Well, because most malpractice lawsuits aren't filed until Later. two years mm -hmm. after the visit. Exactly. So you're not going to get a lawsuit from a visit that you had like a month ago. Make sure that the malpractice has a tail that will cover you to give you time. If it doesn't have a tail and you get sued, that means you're on the hook. The malpractice insurance won't cover you for that time because you're no longer employed Correct. there. So you're paying out of your own pocket for whatever expenses you need, a lawyer, you know. That's a nightmare. It's worst case scenario mm -hmm. nightmare. So make sure it has a tail. And make sure you know what the malpractice limits are. Right, Erin? Mm -hmm. And remember that malpractice only covers if you're practicing within your scope of care. If you decide to do something totally off the books. You mean go rogue? <laughs> go rogue. And something bad happens, yeah. you're fucked, okay? Make sure that you don't yeah. go rogue. So don't do an appendectomy if you're not trained for that. <laughs> right, exactly. And it covers you for the scope of care for your supervising yes. physician mm -hmm. as well. If you're practicing outside the scope of care of your supervising physician, it also won't cover you. So make sure that you know what the scope of practice is for both you and your supervising yes. physician, okay? And last but not least, make sure you... Know how much notice you are required to give if you decide to leave the practice. Some places are up to three months, some are two weeks. It really varies. My first job in Connecticut, they required three months because they wanted me to train the next PA coming in to fill my position, which mm -hmm. is really understandable because they are a small practice. Whereas a big corporation like the urgent care I'm working at right now, I can bounce in like two weeks, you know? It's <laughs> that's what yeah. my job is now. It's so, two weeks. It's really varies. But th when I worked in the ER, they wanted yeah. three months. Which which sucks because by the time you put in your notice, you're exactly. ready to You're go. already mentally checked out. And to you're checked out. And then you still have to work there for like three months at a job that you either hate or you are trying to mm -hmm. get away from or you're trying to move and get to your next job. Make sure you know how much time you're obligated to give. That's a keyword, obligated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> obligated means it's not mm -hmm. negotiable. Yes. <laughs> You have to give them that amount of time or else it will really reflect badly on you as yes, a provider. And you never want to leave so, a job on bad terms. Yeah. No, you mm -hmm. don't. So that's it for our big contract episode. Thanks for sticking it out with us. I know it wasn't a super fun topic so to talk dry. about, but <laughs> it's stuff that you guys need yes. to know. What are we talking about next week, Sammy? Oh, we're actually going to be having our last episode next week, which is going to be malpractice 
and dun, lawsuits. Dun, dun. <laughs> that is one of the most requested topics that everybody wants to hear about because nobody knows anything about it. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. scary. And I think it's something that we're all kind of freaked yeah. out about. Make sure to tune in. Make sure you go to your PA podcast or your PA mentor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, leave a comment. And if you haven't already, join our Facebook group, Your PA Mentor from PA Student to PAC. Yeah. After this season, we're actually going to hop onto YouTube and we have a lot of things coming up, but we can't talk about it right now because we're not ready to discuss all the details. We're not ready for the big reveal. <laughs> what big reveal? <laughs> all right. Don't say like that. The big reveal. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. We will talk to you next week. Have a good day. Bye. Okay. Bye.